and we will be reading from John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because the water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears, hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this, your word, that your word is true, your word is powerful. Your word is the truth that we need, and by the power of your spirit, we ask that you administer it to our hearts and minds. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Back in March of 1993, I was a bitter missionary. I was on my first short-term mission trip, and our project was to put a roof on a church in a rural village. And when we got there the first day, gung-ho, ready to work, there were no roofing materials to be found. And uh, people scratched around for a while, and then finally they said, oh, wait, let's start digging. Uh, there's a slope here. When it rains, the water comes right down the slope into the front door of the church. Let's dig that out. And so we started digging and digging and digging and uh, filling up wheelbarrows and taking it around to the backside of the church and dumping all this dirt down the hillside, coming back around, filling it up over and over and over again. Well, Tuesday came around and there were still no roofing materials and we kept digging. Wednesday came around and there were no roofing materials and everything that could be dug had been dug. And then they said, you know what? what we would really like now is a raised platform in the pulpit area. And the perfect thing for that would be some fill dirt. Why don't y'all go get the dirt that you dumped behind the church, take it all the way back around to the only entrance into the church, 
and take it all the way back up a few feet from where you dumped it, but on the inside portion of the wall, and dump the dirt anew. And I was bitter. I wasn't getting to do what I wanted to do. I was working hard, and I was doing stuff that to me seemed trivial or meaningless or made up on the spot, and I was out of the spotlight. And this wasn't ministry, according to me. I wanted to be there in the middle of it all. And there's something about us as human beings that we like to be in the center of the story. We like for the story to be about, well, me. Uh, well, you probably want it to be about you, not about me. But, but that's this thing that is in our hearts that we, we want it to be right there in the middle. Even we, we see it in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve, as she's considering the fruit, she's like, this will make me better. This now puts me at the middle of the story. And it's been our temptation year after year, century after century, that we want to be there in the middle of the story. And, and yet what we're finding in the Gospel of John is that a real encounter, a saving encounter with the person of Jesus starts to change that. It gives us a new way of understanding, a new way of looking at things, a new attitude, a new way to live. And, and this is what happens here. Uh, this is a, maybe a little bit of a curious passage in some ways. Uh, it's one of the few episodes in the Gospels where Jesus actually isn't in the passage. Uh, he's mentioned, uh, but he's not actually in the story. Uh, they're talking about him, but he's not there. And, and what we have is at the end of John 1, Jesus is talking to Nathanael, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And, and he, Jesus is telling Nathanael, you're going to see that I am the bridge between heaven and earth. But yet what John is doing in his gospel is he's also saying, Jesus told Nathanael this, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how Jesus is this bridge. And he takes us immediately to this wedding in Cana and how Jesus totally undoes what the Jews thought about purification and instead saves a marriage, or at least a wedding, uh, turning water into wine. And then he goes and he cleanses the temple, and he's saying, I have authority over the temple. And he's doing all these signs, he's doing these miracles, these wonders, and people are seeing it, and people are being drawn to it, even so much that the religious leaders come, or at least one of them comes, sort of representative, uh, Nicodemus, and he says, we know you're from God, because we've seen your signs. We've seen what you're doing, we're seeing that someone has brought heaven near to earth. That someone is giving us this connection. And... Then suddenly we do this parenthetical flyover passage of all this wonderful stuff's happening, and now let, let's go talk about John the Baptist and his disciples. And what John is doing now is he's saying, here's someone that has understood, and we need to start to understand too. So what, what happens? Um, 
There, there's a debate. Jesus and his disciples are baptizing. Later on, chapter 4, John's going to explain Jesus isn't actually doing the baptizing. It's his disciples doing baptizing. Uh, they're baptizing, and John is still baptizing. And John, if you'll recall, is the one who had been called to prepare the way for Jesus and, and to bring about repentance, to draw people's hearts, to help people's hearts soften and open and recognize their need for a Savior. And, and he's still continuing that ministry. And there is this debate uh, in, in uh, verse, uh, sorry, I lost my footing there, in verse 25, it says there's a discussion arose. A discussion in a lot of languages uh, actually means debate and argue. So there, there's an argument. There, there, there's an argument between what's going on with a, a Jew, and he seems to be talking about traditional Jewish purification. And then we have John with his baptism, uh, of repentance and purification. And then there's Jesus over there doing his thing, and these guys are arguing about it. And, and out of this argument, the disciples, they come to John and they say, hey, um, you know that guy you were talking about a little while back? The prestige, the position, the popularity, the power that you had a little while back, it's waning. Everybody's going after him now. What's up with that? We're, we're your disciples. We're with you. We're committed to you. Why is it going better for Jesus than for you? You were here first. You know, what, what's going on? Why, why would this happen? And, and this, is, this is one of the just most natural human things that you might find in the text. Uh, of these guys saying, wait. We had a really good gig going. What happened? We don't like it. Uh, we heard you say those things about Jesus, but we still want to be at the center of the story. Isn't that right, John? Shouldn't we still be here at the center of the story? And here's where we start to see what happens when we've had this true encounter, this true understanding of who Jesus is. And the first thing is, we no longer have to win. We don't have to win. Scripture tells us that Jesus has won for us. And so now I don't have to win. And, and, and what does John say? John says, uh, he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. I don't need to win this popularity contest. In fact, it's better if I don't. I don't have to come out on top here. Uh, what happens with my reputation really isn't a big deal because Jesus is building his kingdom. Jesus is out being active and doing those amazing Jesus things. And I'm not that important. I am important because the importance Jesus has put into me. But beside that, for me, my role in the story, it doesn't matter. I can be center stage. I can be stage left. I can be backstage. I can be the prop builder. It doesn't matter what role I have in this production, in this grand narrative. Because Jesus is building his kingdom.
and this tribalism that these guys were breaking down into of is, is uh, traditional Judaism the right way or is John's baptism the right way or what's the right way? And he's saying, I don't have to win that argument. It's okay. I've seen the one whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And he's going about making his kingdom. And I don't have to win. And don't we find ourselves in a culture where we have to win everything? And usually by knockout within the first few seconds of the match. Our nation, we want our nation to win. We want our athletes to win. We want our politics to win. And and we have committed Christians who say, there's no way you can really be a Christian if you vote Democrat. And we have committed Christians who say, there's no way you can really be a Christian if you vote Republican. And we're not called to win that. That's not the war that we're in. That's not what we're about. That we've been called to seek first Jesus, his kingdom, his righteousness. And we don't have to win these things. Now, there there are appropriate times to talk, to debate, to discuss, to persuade. Uh, please, Please don't hear me saying that these things are irrelevant. But we don't have to win. The world is not hanging in the balance to Christ's kingdom and whether or not he's really going to come through on all his promises to redeem and restore. They're not hanging the balance on the next cycle of elections or the next Supreme Court decision. He's on his throne. And what important, what's important is that he wins. Uh, we, can, we can think in our community. Uh, how do we see other churches? We should want them to grow. We should want them to flourish. We should want to see them going crazy. Why? Because Jesus is making his kingdom. When we think about missions and what's going on in the rest of the world, what do we want? We want to say, that needs to grow. And maybe that means that there are ways in which we have to decrease so that the kingdom might increase. And John says, that's okay. That's not a big deal. It might not be comfortable. John's going to find himself in prison And then he's going to find his shoulders without anything on top of them not too long from now. So we're not saying that there aren't sufferings, there aren't painful things in this world, but there's this perspective that says Jesus and his kingdom, that's what matters. And as long as he's the center of the story, I don't have to fight for my place in the story. And, and, and John's got this great perspective on it. You know, he'd been called to prepare the way. And I, I have a friend who loves to paint. He lives in the Pacific Northwest. Sorry for those of you who now want to have someone come paint your house. He's not available. But he loves to paint. And he loves the prep work. And, and you're going to go in and you're going to take out the furniture. And you're going to dust everything off. You're going to take down the curtains and the pictures and you're going to put down some drop cloths and uh, put up the masking tape and bring in the paint buckets and the step ladders and the step stools and everything else, and you're going to paint. But then when you're done, 
what are you going to do in your living room? Are you going to continue with paint preparation? No. (laughs) You're going to take all that stuff out. And, And John's like, how was the paint preparation? And now the Christ has come. And it's okay for me to recognize that I was paint preparation. And I can step to the side and let's see Jesus exalted. And that's where we are. We, we just don't have to win. As a nation, as politics, as a region, as a church, as individuals. We no longer have to win. Rather, we want to point people to Christ and not to ourselves. But it's not just that. It's not just, well, okay, I can relegate myself to the side. We can actually have joy in that. We can have excitement in saying, Jesus made me for a purpose, and while I am fulfilling that purpose, and he's fulfilling his promises of kingdom growth, I have joy in that. I'm excited about that. What, what does John say? He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. He's saying there's joy in this. It's not just, man, okay, I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to be able to work my way through this. It might require a little extra effort, a little extra elbow grease, but I can stay in my role. He's saying there's joy there. There's joy to see that Jesus is going out in the world and doing his things and that he uses people like us. He uses all his disciples. And you may think, I'm not so gifted. I'm not so smart. Uh, I didn't go to the right schools, maybe, or... uh, I didn't grow up in the right background church, or I haven't been a Christian that long, uh, or maybe because of my age, or maybe because of my sex, or maybe because of uh, all these other things that are going on in my life, and just that stage where I am, and I feel like I'm useless. And it's actually this message, there's joy in finding your usefulness where Jesus has placed you. There's joy in being able to say, he's made me to serve him, and I get to. There is joy in being able to say, he is the bridegroom. This reference that John's making, he's actually talking somewhat about Jesus' deity when he's saying this, because these, these references to who is the bridegroom in the Old Testament, it's God. In the passage we read in Isaiah 62, It was, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And John's saying, God's here. And this true saving encounter with Jesus makes his kingdom our passion. Jesus' passion becomes my passion. And I find joy saying, I can actually go about playing my role that he's given to me. How do you find your role? 
Well, uh, we're, we're not going to take a whole break and time out and go through uh, spiritual gift inventories and all these sorts of things. How do you find your role? By looking for one. Looking for opportunities to serve. Who can you love? Who can you bless? What needs are there in the church community? What needs are there in the community around you? What needs are there in the world? Try them out. What can you do? Maybe you can't do a whole lot, but you can do something. See what you can do and play your role in this great kingdom work. Jesus has promised that he's building his kingdom, that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And you have an active role in that. You have a role, if you're a follower of Christ, to say, I'm putting that before me, and I'm submitting my life to what he wants to show me to do for that cause. This isn't just something that mysteriously happens out there. It has to happen in our hearts. It has to happen in our actions. We are going about that, and we're longing to see his kingdom, and we long to do kingdom works. We long to see his people come in, to see his people strengthen, to see them grow, to see his love shown to communities so desperately in need of love. This is what he's about and what he's calling us to do, and we can find joy in that. But sometimes when we think of joy, we kind of think of this out-of-body, otherworldly thing where I can be sitting here and everything is just hard and I don't like it and I actually really am an angry person, but I think that somewhere up in there, I've got this joy, right? It's just kind of, I, I can't quite grab it, but it's floating out there. And, and I know that I'm supposed to say those words in church, uh, but actually, I don't like life. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about this, this intangible joy, but I actually don't like life. And that's not very attractive. Actually, what we're seeing in our passage also is it's not just this, I don't have to win. And it's not just I can find joy in Jesus winning instead of me. And by the way, you get to win with Jesus when he wins. Because I can actually enjoy life. I can enjoy life. Now, I'm not promising freedom from suffering. I'm not promising there won't be problems. In fact, there will be. But there's actually enjoyment of life because Jesus gives life, fullness of life. He gives life abundant. And, and, and we find this in our passage. Uh, we, we find this about this message of love. Uh, verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. You know, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. That Jesus is the one from above, the passage tells us. He's the one who's come to us from the father and what he tells us is true. And what he is telling us, what he is doing is all pushed forward by the father's love. And in that we find the ability to enjoy. And right now, our culture tells us things. Uh, if you're going to enjoy life, it means you have to satisfy every desire. If you're going to enjoy life, you need to pursue all these other things. 
Go after your heart's desire. Our, our culture is telling us that if we're really going to enjoy, we have to first be true to ourselves and find who we are in us. The scriptural message is different. It's find who you are in Jesus. And then you will actually enjoy life. Enjoy being who he has made you to be. Enjoy being who he had in mind in eternity past when he and the Father and the Holy Spirit decided to create each and every one of us. And that he has that purpose. And that it's not just this ethereal, oh yeah, I feel good because maybe I'm doing something right. It's just, I can dedicate myself to what God is giving me and I can enjoy it. I can understand more and more of who I am because I'm finding myself in Jesus. My satisfaction comes not in going out and doing whatever I want, being whoever it is I want to be. My enjoyment is in looking at Jesus and this refrain we get over and over through the New Testament of being in Christ, in Christ, in Jesus. Who am I in him? And that's where I'm going to find satisfaction. It's where I'm going to find enjoyment. That's where I'm going to find out that my desires actually have the better satisfaction in him. In Christ, we find joy in being who he's made us to be in dying to self and living in him. So, do you have that? Do you have this life? Do you understand who Jesus is? Not in his fullness, because no one's going to. But have you seen his majesty, his holiness, his purity, his goodness, his mercifulness, his compassion, his love? Have you heard, have you understood what it means that he went to the cross in our place. That he took on the wrath. This, this passage ends with this uncomfortable turn of the phrase, uh, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. But you understand that Jesus went to the cross precisely to take that wrath away from you. He went to the cross to receive the punishment that I need that you need if we're going to atone for our sins. But he went in our stead and he bore the wrath and he paid 100%. And we see that because he rose again. There's no more debt there. Every bit of sin has been paid for. And now the question is, do I know it? Do I understand it? Do I believe it? So I understand that there's this one who gives the spirit without measure to us and that that spirit will open our hearts and will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, to see that Jesus is the one I need. Jesus is the one that I need to have this encounter with. Do you believe in him? Now, our belief is never perfect. Every one of his disciples is going to be crying out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And yet, do you believe, do you trust 
that Jesus is sufficient for you? Do you trust that he's good enough for you? Do you trust the depth of his love and his mercy? Do you understand that? Have you had that encounter with him? Thursday, a week ago, Walt Gary passed away. You might not have ever heard of Walt. 36-year-old man with Down syndrome and a super fan of a college football team. And 20-some-odd years ago, his mom figured out how to get him access to his college football team's locker room. And he would get to go in and greet the players and talk to them before practice, make predictions of scores, which, by the way, he never predicted his team would lose. But he would come into that locker room with joy. And there are guys in the NFL this week saying, my life is different because I knew Walt Gary. My life is better because I knew Walt Gary. I'm able to find more joy and peace than I had understood there was because I knew this man with Down syndrome. Have you known Jesus? Have you known the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Does that make your life different? Are you able not to be the center of the story? Are you able to find joy and enjoyment because he really is who he says he is? He really is the loving Savior. He's the one I need. He's the one we need. He's the one our world needs. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're good, that you're loving, that you're compassionate. Thank you that you sent Jesus to suffer in our place, to die to be resurrected, to live and to ascend on high. Give us grace now to believe, to understand, and to be transformed, to be able to live for you and not for ourselves. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.